How did I end up booking an unbookable? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make it the show? Start the clock! And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napa. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. First of all, start off by apologizing. If you hear a fan sound in the background, had some issues today with the overheating and did not want to risk taking down the studio, putting in a new computer to run the show tonight on short notice. So I got a fan running the whole show. I, I hope it doesn't bother the audio too much. Uh, and I appreciate everybody coming here. You all know who's here tonight. Obviously, uh, there's been uh, a lot of uh, excitement about this, a lot of emails, a lot of private messages, a lot of people talking about uh, this program tonight. And so I have some explaining to do <laughs> about how we got here and why tonight. And so uh, let me begin by saying um, James Inman uh, has already um, set up the bar for guests on this program because the sponsor that usually sponsors comedy interviews on this program has declined to sponsor tonight. Um, I do have another sponsor who wants to to sponsor tonight. I don't know if I'm going to read them, though, because in the interest of time, I'm going to want to get James in as quickly as possible. I know you want to hear from him, not from me, and certainly not about the sponsors tonight. Uh, But I I found it funny that the uh, sponsor who usually sponsors the comedy stuff uh did not want to sponsor james because he's uh considered controversial especially on social media and truth is folks i've been banned for life from twitter eight times now i'm off twitter in case you don't know uh, i'm not on twitter anymore my good friend nate kelp uh is on there now he's uh helping pr- uh promote the program but he doesn't have any followers i mean and i understand he's been behaving himself but sooner or later he's gonna get banned too but to my knowledge i don't think james has ever been banned from twitter yet he's got the reputation for being kind of a, a bad boy on social media and i'm okay i mean they have no problem sponsoring me every week so i thought that was a little inconsistent a little weird as you know james um in uh inman is hysterically funny um he's he's also uh, a little bit uh prone to conflict uh, lately especially on social media which uh scared me a little bit because i actually thought about asking james to be on the program almost two years ago now and then I started following him on Twitter, one of my other account, uh, one of my previous uh, renditions on Twitter. And uh, I saw him arguing with a lot of people. And growing up in an Italian household where people were always yelling at each other, conflict bothers me. It rubs me the wrong way. It makes me uncomfortable. And whenever I would comment on any of this stuff, I would try to try to uh, make it a little humorous or diffuse the situation at all. But it didn't seem to work. And I admit there are times when I am confused by comedians where I can't tell if they're being serious or they're uh, seriously angry because they fuck with each other so much that I don't know when they're being serious. So I see James arguing with a lot of people that I thought should be his friends or were his friends. And uh, and that stuff went on for you. And so I put the brakes on asking him. And then about 
six weeks ago, eight weeks ago now, somebody suggested I have him on. And I said, yeah, I, I really want to have him on because he's funny as fuck. Uh, but I'm a little scared of him. And then two weeks ago, my friend Craig wrote to me and said, you got to have him on. And I said, you know, I want to have uh, Brett on. And I'm afraid that if I have Inman on, all shit's going to break loose uh, with, with, with my chances of getting Brett on the show. And then so I went to back on Twitter. And at that moment, that very moment, uh, somebody was pushing James' buttons about the unbookables. And uh, Brett's name came up and it was not pretty. And I thought, well, I better get Brett on the show as quickly as possible because I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to ruin my opportunity for getting him on the show. And so, uh, and then after that, um, Andy uh, Andrews said I should have James on the show, and I thought he was kidding. And I asked him, and he said, no, he was dead serious. He said, James is a good guy. You should have him on the show. I think you'll get along with him. I think he'll, he'll be great for your show. And so I trust Andy a lot. And so that's how we got here tonight. I said, you know what? Maybe, I, maybe I'm being scared for nothing. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll get along fine. Maybe, maybe things will go very smoothly. So uh, I, I, let's just get him in. James Inman is the winner of the San Francisco International Comedy Competition. He's also the co-creator of Mudslinger's Ball Comedy on uh, Cent uh, Comedy Central Pilot and produced his own one-man show adapted from his book, The Greyhound Diary. He's also one of the unbookables and the focal point of the film by the same name. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your mind, and help me welcome in James Inman to the Mind Dog TV podcast. James, welcome. Hi. How are you? Well, thank thank you for coming. That was a long intro. Oh my god! I, I know. Well, I had some explaining to do. People have written to me and asked, you know, why, and uh, you know the thread I'm talking about two weeks ago. And oh some, god, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And so I have a difficult time really knowing ki uh, comedians are kidding and when they're serious. And when I see that stuff going on, uh -huh. I, I just, you know, by the way, you got to know who your real friends are. And I have to say, before we even get started, uh, Andy Andrews is a true friend of yours. Mm -hmm. And uh, he will, he's said nothing but kind things about you. And he happens to be the only person ever uh, certified by the United States Postal Service as a very reasonable man. So when he says you got to have James on, he's a good guy. I, I'm going <laughs> to trust him. Yeah, he's reasonable. <laughs> so, but what what's the real deal now, James? Uh, are you really uh, at odds with some of these guys? When, uh, um, well, no, like like you said, uh, um, you don't know if they're joking or not, right? Right. I mean, you're yeah. Well, that's been my experience with Doug for like since 1995 i mean he's been making fun of me uh for 25 years and i've never known if he's serious or not right. and so you know and so then doug starts making fun of me and then then doug gets famous and then uh doug has all these fans and friends and and peers and then there's the unbookables and we film the movie and then all the unbookables start making fun of me because doug makes fun of me so I've never known if they're serious or not. I mean, so we're not, we're in the same boat, dude. I mean. Okay, but Stan Hope has had you on his, his podcast long after 1995 and after the film, I think even, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't think he would have you on if he really didn't, you know, 
and I don't know Doug Stanhope, and I don't know what he thinks of people, but yeah. I, it's hard for me to imagine he would invite you on the podcast, I think twice or three times, yeah. if he didn't like you. Well, the funny thing is, like, when me and Doug get together and he starts making fun of me, I, like, I push back, like, as hard as I can. I, I know all of his buttons, and I, I try to say the most fucked up things I can say to him, but pretty much everybody else kisses his kisses his ass on that podcast because they're like oh doug you know he's so famous i knew doug when he was doing dick jokes when he was like shaking up a bottle of beer and he had no political jokes whatsoever in his act he was just a regular comic just like you know all of us you know he wasn't famous we both won the san francisco comedy competition and so he was kind of like my peer and then he moved to la and he gets famous so I'm kind of still his friend, you know, but a lot of other people, you know, they kind of climbed on board after Doug got famous. Hmm. Well, it seemed, and, and, you know, you brought up the film, and so let's go there already. It seemed from me watching film that at the time it was being filmed, you got along with most of the people uh, pretty well during that filming, no? Or am I, 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 until the, the incident where... Uh, oh, yeah, the big argument with, uh, um, with uh, Lipsky, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, he threw something at you. He threw a hot dog. Back yeah, he threw a he threw a <laughs> glass of water. I thought it was a glass of wine or something. Um, but, but I thought it, seemed, it was white wine, but, but you know. it seemed like you guys were were friends at that point. Am I wrong again? Because I can't tell what's real and what's not. I guess I'm. I'm pretty um, well, yeah, we're all friends, but you know, so just the whole movie was just this long process, and it was. It was kind of like, um, you know, Jeff, the director, and Doug didn't get along. And, uh, you know, so um, I had to kind of, like, keep everybody together. I wasn't a producer, but I, I kind of had to be friends with everybody and get along with everybody so the movie would get done, you know. So I had to make Jeff happy. I had to make Doug happy. I had to make all the unbookables happy, you know. Um, you know, it was... It was a long process. Well, as I mentioned, and this is no smoke, I think you're hysterically funny. Uh, but I also look at, you You did a film uh, several years ago, and it's something to be proud of. Listen, anybody who's been in a, a feature film should be proud of it. Right. I, yeah, see, that's the other thing, too. Like, since Doug makes fun of me, right, the movie comes out, and, like, all the unbookables, I mean, Doug kind of, he didn't really trash the movie, but he didn't really promote it. And so behind the scenes, everybody was making fun of the film. And and uh, um, so the film came out as, like, an independent film with only right. 10, uh, with only 1,000 DVDs. And it got on BitTorrent, but, you know, not very many people saw it. So, so there was... You know, there was Sean Rouse. He had a lot of complaints. There was Doug that had certain complaints, you know, and Jeff wasn't taking anybody's suggestions, right? And so the movie just kind of sat there for a while. And I was on Facebook, and um, this guy uh, who used to be Bill Hicks's best friend, Kevin Booth. I was following Kevin Booth on Facebook, and Kevin goes, hey, does anybody have a movie that doesn't have a distributor? I get to recommend three movies a year to my distributor. And I was like, well, I got this movie. You know, I sent him a link to, uh, I sent him a, a copy of the Unbookables, and he calls me back the very next day. <laughs> Kevin Booth, who 
my hero is Bill Hicks, right? And I know who Kevin Boot is. I've known Kevin Boot for like, you know, I'm nervous being around Kevin Boot, you know? Um, and so he calls me back and I like, I go, dude, talk to the director. Maybe you guys could get together. Uh, the director, he might be open to making some changes. And uh, so Kevin and Jeff started talking. Jeff said, yeah, I think I might make some changes. And then I started giving Jeff all of Doug's suggestions, all of Sean's suggestions, and some of the unbookables. They had problems with different parts. So I secretly talked Jeff into making those changes. And uh, and we also, we added some music by Mishka. And, and uh, you know, next thing you know, we got a distributor. We sent it to Comedy Dynamics. They sent us a contract the very next day. And because uh, the vice uh, president of Comedy Dynamics, he's a huge Bill Hicks fan and um, Sam Kinison fan and a uh, big uh, Doug Stanhope fan, right? And so, and he also knows uh, Kevin Booth. And so right when he sees the unbookables, he's like, oh my God, I want this film. And uh, so the whole time I thought the movie sucked because Doug was always making fun of it. All the unbookables were making fun of it. Even to this day, they kind of laugh it off and stuff. But after we got on Comedy Dynamics, it got it's on like like twenty different platforms. It's on Roku, it's on iTunes, it's on Amazon Prime, it's on uh, Google Play, YouTube. The DVD is the DVD's everywhere. DVD you can even buy the DVD on Walmart's website, right? Well, <laughs> that's so, that's pretty cool. I yeah, mean, but see, the thing of it is. The unbookables have been making fun of this movie for so long. They don't understand that they're a lot more famous now that we got a distributor and a lot more people are seeing that goddamn movie. Right. But it's been out for several years now, right? No, it's all, it's only at the last at the let's see, at the very first part of 2018, like December 27th is when um uh, we uh, we December of 2017, which it didn't really end up on Comedy Dynamics until the very first part of 2018. So that movie has only been out three years. Even though it came out as an independent film a long time ago, nobody saw it. And that's what the Unbookables don't understand. They don't understand that there's a lot of people who know who the Unbookables are now. Because, I mean, you could tell by my Twitter account, like my right when... That movie got on Amazon Prime. My Twitter account just fucking grew like crazy. I'm and not I got Twitter. way more followers on Facebook. I mean, it's all that shit. They just make fun of it. Well, uh, so uh, obviously you're very passionate about this movie, right? Uh, but the rest of the guys just don't share your passion. And that is the root of the con. I'm just trying to under understand the root of the conflict uh, that I see on Twitter that makes me a little uncomfortable. Well, I, I think it just, it all boils down to Jeff, the director and Doug and Brian Hennigan all got in this huge fight. And uh, I heard about parts of it. You know, there were lawyers involved, like Doug's lawyer and Jeff's lawyer were like arguing over the phone. It took Jeff, Jeff, his side, he had a side job where he he was kind of uh, helping uh, with uh, contracts, and he he kind of knew how to negotiate contracts. That contract that Jeff signed for Comedy Dynamics, it took them six 
months to sign that contract because they were sending it back and forth to uh, lawyers, to Jeff's lawyer and uh, the Comedy Dynamics lawyer. So the, the whole thing to me is funny because I didn't have a fucking dime in my pocket. And still to this day, I don't have a fucking dime. But there are all these fucking rich people arguing about this goddamn movie, you know? And it's a movie about a bunch of edgy, poor, broke artists that are pushing the envelope on stage. Right. Yeah. Well, this is this is what begs the question I was going to ask here, James, because I went to your website and one thing I noticed is I couldn't find any tour dates on there. And I'm thinking this guy's fucking hysterical. He's got viral videos out. He's an award winning comedian. Why aren't you working? Why aren't you moving on? I know the film is important, but why you just said I and I still don't have it done. Why aren't you out there working? Well, before the end book, well, before. You know, I was doing pretty good as a comic. I mean, I had a really, I had a good reputation. I was killing. You know, I used to live in Seattle, and um, you know, I won San Francisco comedy competition. I was invited to the Montreal um, Just for Last Festival. Yeah, I had a pretty good resume. But then I get hooked up with Doug, and we start doing this movie. And you know, like my reputation, I can't really work these these big time comedy clubs like the the improv or the funny bone or, but I'm going to have to like start booking myself in these edgier, you know, underground, you know, punk rock clubs or whatever, you know, and plus there's the goddamn, uh, uh, the uh, virus, the COVID-19. We had a whole year here where, um, personally I've been waiting for the unbookables to get together and like do some tour together, you know, but they always, they, they make fun of me. They're, they're so used to making fun of me that they don't understand that we could just like forget all of this stupid shit. And just like, if we were real businessmen, we would put together an unbookables tour and we'd make some money. I, I get that. Uh, and from the, from the outside perspective, and again, I, I don't know any of your fucking history, but I'm glad you're, you're giving me some of it here tonight, but from the outside perspective, I don't see it as them. <laughs> making fun of you i think i and the ones i've talked to respect you as a comedian i know that but i don't see them as making fun of you i think uh, sometimes I'm, and i'm again i don't know what it's i'm not in that that circle and i don't know these people that well but it doesn't seem like hateful means oh, to, except well, for the yeah. stuff a couple of weeks ago did <laughs> i mean i i know i know what you're saying because you know they're all great joke writers um usually andy's not that hateful, you know. I mean, I, I get it when he says it, but you know, when it's when it's you know some of the other ones, it's like I kind of question, do they really mean it or not? You know, because this they might really fucking hate me. There's there's a lot of Doug's friends that do fucking hate me, yeah. and uh, and so when they make their little jokes, um, it it does kind of hurt, you know. I. I, I I've had to deal with it for the past 15 years, dude. I mean, past 20, since I've known Doug, I've had to deal with this shit where every joke is some kind of insult or put down. None of these guys ever give each other a compliment, rarely in public. Like maybe Andy will go, yeah, you should book James on your podcast. He's a really good guy or whatever, you know, but in public, None of these fuckers give you a compliment. The only guy that occasionally will give you a compliment is like Mishka or, you know, Andy. Those are the two guys that are nice. 
the rest of the people that follow Doug are just mean motherfuckers. Okay, wow. so yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but they've been nice to me, and uh, so far. But uh, you know, I, again, I don't get too close to them. They don't get that close to me. But they, Maybe it's just my perspective because I mean, it's just I think it's like it was the movie where James is the guy that we make fun of, and so ever since then, that's my character. That's my role. My role is the punching bag. But. Now on that on the you end the movie by saying that's pretty much the role of the comedian anyway is to make yourself uh, the clown the the fool uh, and I I don't want to quote you directly because I don't remember it exactly but yeah. words to those effect that that's the comedian's job in the first place right yeah right that's every to me that's every comedian's job but but when you're with the group of comedians there should be some kind of um, uh, you know. Um, respect of your fucking peers you know like uh i don't know it, it just seems like ever since that movie came out they fucking hated my guts you know well, i wish there was some way we could help resolve that because especially if you say you want to see people get back together again and work together again that can't happen without some kind of resolution well, it, I mean, I, i'm not a love maker here well, a matchmaker since that <laughs> since that movie came out we haven't done one unbookable show together right. as a group well, it seems, and when Sam Talent is on the show, uh, I like to play with him a little bit about the comparing the life of a musician with the life of a comedian. And it seems to me comedians are used to traveling in really small groups, if not alone. And musicians are used to the experience from the Unbookables where you have four or five, six guys in a van traveling from city to city. Yeah. And that's why bands are always on the verge of breaking up at all times. And I think you got to experience <laughs> yeah. a little bit. You can't, you can't be that close to your peers uh, for that long a time and not have a bunch of conflict. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, but I mean, I would think that they, they would want to do it just out of professional reasons. You know, I like I said, like I doubted myself for the longest time. I thought the movie sucked. And then after, you know, Kevin Booth got involved and then it got on comedy dynamics and then it was all over the place. I was I was sitting around and I was talking to Brett and, uh, you know, because he was living in L.A. and he was at the comedy store every day. And I remembered that. Doug had a he did a podcast once in Las Vegas and so I met the booking agent or the manager of the comedy store and he said he was telling me he's like yeah once we got rid of Mitzi Shore we started booking the comics that we wanted to book not connected to any management uh, company so we brought in Joe Rogan and some edgier comics like Doug and like so and so and you know Ollie Shafir and stuff like that and he goes, and the line was around the block. That place was sold out every night by booking edgy comics, right? So that's stuck in the back of my head. And when I realized, I was like, Brett, you're at the fucking comedy store. Let's, let's book the unbookables at the comedy store. And he's like, oh, that's, that's a dumb idea, James. You know, he, first he said he was going to do it. Then he said he wasn't going to do it. And I'm like, and I'm on the phone with him. And I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll fucking, what's the guy's number? I'll call him. And Brett goes, you do that, James. And I'm like, what the? He, like, he wouldn't even give me the guy's phone number. And he's being sarcastic. Like, you do that, James. Like, I couldn't do it. Not two weeks later, I, I meet this guy who works the comedy store. I do a set in front of him. And he goes, uh, yeah, uh, hey, James, that was funny. I go, hey, can you, what, you ever want to 
book the unbookables at the comedy store and he's like i'll book the all the unbookables i'll give you a date right fucking now and it wasn't two weeks after i had that fucking argument with brett erickson that i got all the unbookables at the comedy store so i was like holy shit they know who we are you know and so um you know i i fucking we had to push the date back a, cu- a couple months and that's when COVID-19 hit and they had to cancel the show. So that's why that show got canceled. But I don't think the unbookables realize that we could make one phone call and get the unbookables at it, at least the belly room. And it would just be fun to do. It's just something that we could all get together and do a show. Well, you know? I don't think most of them have any real interest in it, whether you know, whether you can book the show or not. And I, again, I don't want to speak for them, but from what I've heard publicly said uh, from some people, and it doesn't even look like uh, Travis Lifke is even doing comedy anymore. Travis would, he was like, I was on the phone with Travis. I was like, Travis, do you want to do it? He's like, I'm thinking about doing it. I have to buy a plane ticket, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so Travis was back and forth, but he, I asked him, I said, Travis, if we do a comedy, another comedy store show, are you going to do it? He's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to do it. The only person that I haven't contacted is Norm Wilkerson. But everybody else, like like Christine Levine, Brett Erickson, Andy Andrus, uh, Brendan Walsh, me, all of us, we've been doing comedy 25, 30 years. It's not hard to do 10 minutes of comedy. That's all we have to do. You get six or seven of the unbookables on stage. We all do 10 minutes. Easy peasy. How hard can that be? Right. Uh, well, of course, Sean's not still with us. No, who, yeah. who else Who else in your uh, estimation is in that group? Is Brendan Walsh an unbookable? Yeah, but like when I set up that comedy store gig, Brendan, I called Brendan. I sent him a text. I go, dude, we're going to be there March 26th or whatever. You want to do it? He's like, fuck yeah, I'll do it. And so Brendan Walsh. Brett Erickson, me, Christine Levine, Andy Andrus, and uh, Mishka were supposed to do that comedy store gig. It was going to be fun. You know, who knows? There might have been some agents in the room or whatever, you know. And we're all doing this. We're all putting this together without Doug's help. Because, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Doug is like a libertarian. He's like a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He doesn't want to help anybody. That's his gig. I mean, that's his that's his philosophy of life, you know. Well, I disagree. He he helped Sam Talent. He, he helped he helped me a little bit because if it wasn't for him, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't think he necessarily intended it as as help towards me. But if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have made a lot of the connections that I made. But I know he went out of his way to give Sam Talent a a real boost with this book. So uh, to say he yeah. doesn't want to help anyone, I think. No, I I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, I, I don't mean he doesn't want to help anybody in a negative way. I just mean that there's two ways of dealing with something. When you want to teach somebody, you know, you can either, you know, do it for them or you can teach them how to do it and they fucking figure it out themselves. You know, yeah. I think that, you know, just like any teacher or your dad, your dad, after a while, he's like, okay, you're going to have to fucking learn how to swim on your own. I'm just going to throw you in the goddamn water and you're going to swim. Did you meet my dad? What's that? Did you meet my dad? No. Because he actually did that. Him and my grandfather threw me in a a 20 foot deep canal and said, (laughs) I was four. Right. You (laughs) You can't always, 
you know, rely on other people. I mean, that's the libertarian ideal. Even though Doug says, oh, I'm not a libertarian anymore, he still is at heart a libertarian. Me, on the other hand, I love collaborating with people. I love like groups of people. And that's why I love the Unbookable so much because it was a group of people and we made this really cool thing together. Hmm. So that's this has all been past based. What about future based? What are you What are you looking? Because obviously, if they decide not to, or for any reason, this doesn't happen, you got to make other plans for the future. Are you planning anything for the future? It show, shows anything. Um. Well, right now, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm uh, working on like like three or four books. I'm uh, um, kind of editing, formatting, and getting ready to publish. Um. Uh, a couple uh, books. Um, I can't really say, you know, what they are. Um, and uh, also I'm helping another uh, friend of mine um, publish uh, his book of plays. So um, so it's, it's all this fucking computer shit on Word and I'm uh, teaching myself how to format uh, books so they look, you know, professional. Gotcha. Uh, so where are you where are you located now? You're not back in Kansas City, are you? Yeah, I'm in I'm in Kansas City now. Oh, oh, I thought there was a while. Wasn't there a while where you were in New York? Yeah, I lived in New York for three years. I lived in Seattle for like ten years. Right. I lived in uh, Minneapolis for like a year. I, you know, I've been I've been doing comedy like thirty fucking years. You know, and that's see that's the thing where I don't think a lot of Doug's friends really know who I am, you know, and, and, and the, whatever I say about myself, they just, they think I'm bragging, you know, but it's like, dude, you don't even know who I am, you know, and it's like, I, I feel like I would just like, go look at my resume, dude. I've been, you know, uh, it's just really fucking annoying, you know. <laughs> I, I got you, but, and, and I, you know, you want to be respected for what you did, but, uh, you know, I, what really does it matter what, what they think about you. I mean, because I know there are people, there are lots, as I mentioned, I got banned from Twitter eight times. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't like me, a lot of people who hate me. I, you know, I move on with my life, get, go on to the next thing. Why not? Why not? Um, yeah, I got I got banned from Twitter once, but then I, um, you know, I got back on. Doug, uh, it was this long story. <laughs> Mishka, like, reported one of my tweets or something. And, and Mishka, uh, your friend? Yeah, yeah, I know, dude. And, and so Doug brought us, Doug brought us back. Me and Mishka were, like, arguing with each other. And so Doug brought me and Mishka on his podcast, and we got back together, right? I wish Doug would do that with Brett Erickson because I'm really pissed at Brett. That came across a couple of weeks ago, and uh, when, the day that I, I, Craig Johnson told me, you should, got, you should get Inman on the program, and then I went and saw your Twitter feed was lighting up with a lot of Erickson stuff, and, and I was uh -huh. like, wow. Uh, so I, at that moment, I decided I better ask Erickson pretty quickly before this blows up. Now, I, I didn't watch... <laughs> I didn't watch Erickson's uh, podcast with you. He didn't mention uh, you at all. Uh, and, right. Uh, he probably didn't mention the unbookables. He probably didn't mention me. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's like what he did was just so fucking unforgivable, you know? And the funny thing is, like, I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty good at understanding what's like morally right and wrong, you know? Even though, you know, people think I'm crazy or I'm not reasonable or, um, 
I don't know about not reasonable. I don't know what they think of you. I know I what I thought of you, and I think uh, you're very emotional and very passionate about the film, obviously. And anybody who doesn't agree with you, you seem to get seem to take that as a personal offense. Am well, I wrong? I mean, about that? dude. I mean, the director of the film just recently died, Jeff Pearson, the guy that made that film. And I never even got to go to his funeral. I mean, we had a really stupid memorial that Doug tried to put together, and Brett started bad-mouthing Jeff on the goddamn memorial, and I just fucking left. You know, I couldn't take it because it was just going to be more of that shit where they make fun of me, and I wanted it to be about Jeff Pearson, you know? They don't understand that Jeff worked really hard on that film, and Jeff is one of the smartest guys I ever met in my life. The only other person I think that might be as smart as Jeff is probably Brian Hennigan, which is Doug's manager. You know, know Brian's Brian smart as fuck. He's like a, a goddamn alien, you know. But Jeff <laughs> was like his equal, right? And I've known Jeff since, I don't know, since 1992. I met him in Seattle. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, he's the guy that made that movie. He, gotcha. You know, um, he filmed the whole thing. Uh, he had 150 hours of film, and he had to take all – they watched all of that film. And he had to go through that whole three weeks of film and find the little parts that would create a story. So um, – and he had the whole thing mapped out. They, they had – this is what I couldn't believe because when I went back up to Seattle um, uh, to, to help him, like, pick the – the stand-up parts because uh kevin booth was like we need longer stand-up parts and so uh they chose me to help him pick out the stand-up parts and i go up there and jeff had a office he had a business office for the unbookables in a in a real like fucking office building i mean they didn't make this out of their house you know this is a this is a real project, a real fucking movie, you know? Uh, I get it. Uh, listen, I've been trying to, I've been working on my own documentary for five years right now. So I know what, what, it, uh, what the struggles of putting a movie like that together uh -huh. are. Uh, but at some point, you know, for you personally, the movie's out, been out. It's got whatever reception it's going to get. You can continue to promote it. But at some point, you got to look towards the future, don't you? I see that's another thing that Doug has been saying since we started filming. I mean, it's like I, I've I heard you look, here's the deal. <laughs> like the whole the whole thing about uh you know, uh, why don't you move on? You know, that that movie's really old. Did it come out like 9 years ago? Doug started that. He started right the day after the movie came out. He's like that movie's old. He's been saying that for fucking 10 years because he <laughs> wanted to make he he that's like i honestly started believing that for the longest time until kevin booth saw the film and he's like oh my god this is a great film i'm like kevin, yeah but I, honestly kevin, i know what you're saying kevin what? booth was the first guy that ever complimented me on that film everybody else made fun of it right and i was like holy shit and that's when we gave it to Comedy Dynamics, and that's when we signed that contract. So, yes, yeah, it's been around six, seven years. Why don't you move on? Right now, we got the power to call up Comedy, the, the fucking Comedy Store, and get the Unbookables, like, 
like people know who we are now because of that. Right. You know? uh, what I'm going to say, though, is uh, I can understand feeling like that movie is old because if I look at that movie, Erickson looks like a kid. Andy looks at least 10 years younger, 15 years younger. Brendan's got big brown, red hair all over. Now, Brendan's pure white. I don't know if you've seen him lately, but um, yeah. uh, the age difference, if you look at the movie compared to the people I see today, it feels pretty old to me. I feel like I'm looking at nostalgia when, if I look, and I just saw it again All yesterday. Right. Prepared yeah. for this. I mean, well, there's the, right now the psychedelic furs are touring with Blondie, and um, I know, and, but, you, but when you're looking at the film from that perspective, you do see people who are a lot younger than they appear today, and so that adds yeah. to the perception. Well, I mean, I've been to some open mic nights, and there's people that come up to me. And they're nervous being around me. And I'm like, what's your deal, dude? He's like, I just want to say, I, I don't want to bother you, James, but I, I, can I shake your hand? Because I, I, The Unbookables is one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. What has happened is that movie's turned into like a cult classic for, for uh, open mic comics and edgy comics because there's no other documentary like that. Right, there's nothing like that, that for and, sure. Uh, yeah, and Jeff never got his accolades. Like, there was never a time where Doug sat me down and said, good job, James. It was, there was no, like, my dad. Growing but up, my dad. What if, he, what if he honestly doesn't feel that it was it, it was a good movie? You still well, want him to do lie. that? Then lie. Then fucking lie. That, I lie all the time. If I see somebody <laughs> that's like, he did. He tried really hard, and he really wasn't that funny. I'll still <laughs> tell him he's funny. I'll lie to his face just to make him feel better. Well, God I, damn! I, I have like, a tough time. Who cares doing about that. the fucking truth? That's like like Brett. Brett at our you know at fucking at the memorial. People need to know the truth. Who gives a fuck? Jeff is dead. You know, life is crazy to begin with. Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. Right. Sometimes we can't take the truth. I get it, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what do we you do? You could just say nothing. Anyway. What? You could just say nothing. But but uh, I, I don't give a fuck. Look, I do comedy. I I I don't necessarily tell the truth on in comedy. Right. My job in comedy is to make people laugh. If I have to fucking lie, I'll lie to make people laugh. I'm not I'm not a fucking monk. I'm not Jesus. I'm not a professor. <laughs> I'm not a fucking I will make shit up if I have to. Let me let me ask you something. Were, were you <laughs> were you lying to the Seattle City Council, or was that all truth? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean that was that was a true story. I got I got arrested for saying the f word. I got arrested for saying for saying fuck, and so it was an exaggeration. I mean, that's what comedy is. You just like you take something, you exaggerate it to the tenth power, and make it funny. You know, that was, that was uh, uh, a classic uh, video, by the way. And uh, I, I wish I could uh, get this, just clips of that audio and just like use it for bumpers on the show because it's on my, you know, I got two <laughs> CDs out, so you know, it's on my CD. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, but I'm sure you have copyrights on it, and whether or not you gave me permission, YouTube can still be care, on my head. dude. You can you can use it if you do. There's all. I mean, I, I haven't really promoted my CDs that much because, the, the, like, all well, these guys. Why not? Why not shift from the movie to the CDs a little? <laughs> these guys, they make fun of me so much. I didn't even want to promote myself. Like, whenever I promote myself, there's some fucking jack wagon 
on Facebook or Twitter who's friends with Doug or a fan of Doug is like, oh, what a big self-promoter. I can't believe all you do is talk about big I mean, I rarely talk about the unbookables. I rarely tweet about it. I rarely tweet about my CDs, you know, because, like, that's the last thing any of, you know, they think it's, it's like, a, you know, it's crass to self-promote. Yeah, and I don't, uh, the people who came, uh, and there are people here tonight in 30 different platforms. I have uh, 30 different chat rooms going that people are, are here I guess tonight. it really hurts my feelings. I listen to other people. I take other people's. That's the thing. I but they, they came out to see you tonight is my point. So uh, I, I don't think people can. I, I don't I, think people understand me. I really don't. Oh, I, I would, seek out criticism. I fucking like it when someone comes up to me and goes, that was funny, but, you know, you should do this or you should change that or add this or that. You know, I listen to that. So when someone, like, makes fun of me or criticizes me, it really does hurt because I fucking I, – I think that they're par- partly true. You know, well, they're I feel partly that, right. Uh, I totally feel that. You know, and uh, I'm not like you in that if somebody comes up to me and says, that was a great show, but – that butt is going to kill me for honestly that butt is going to kill me for a, for a year uh, i'm going to think nothing about but that, that person said butt <laughs> and then well, and what follows yeah. the butt is like uh, i mean it doesn't hurt my ego it more it i use it to like make myself better you know like um because i like before i met doug my best friend was Brad Nelson. Now, Brad made fun of me all the time. So it's not like Doug was the first guy to make fun of me. I seek out these people that, like, make me the butt of the joke. So I'm always, like, laughing at myself. I don't take myself seriously. And it's so funny that, I mean, that's what happened in the movie. I didn't know that's what was going to happen. But in the movie, everybody makes fun of me. And then I end up being in every fucking scene, which was not my... I, I did. I had no idea that was going to happen, but right. I think that's one one of the reasons why they're all pissed. You know, could be. You know, you know how artists are. Whatever, whatever the situation. I, I'm really hoping you can put that animosity behind you and just kind of, you know, reconnect with your friends. I'll tell you, people who I played with in a band 45 years ago have uh, died recently, and we had broken up for stupid reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and when they got cancer and died, uh, I felt it really bad because they were a big part of my life when I was young and I shared that experience in a van traveling the country. I mean, mm-hmm. e- eating shitty food, you know, the yeah. whole experience. And, and so, you know, when you have that experience, you regret those relationships when you get old. Me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and having lost them for stupid reasons. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm the guy trying to get the unbookables back together. They're the ones that the fucking all they do is make fun of it, you know. Whatever. I still, I could, I'm still a forgiving person. I like, you know, bygones be bygones. I don't give a fuck what happened in the past. I just want to like do one unbookable show somewhere. Gotcha. How hard can that be? In the meantime, there are people who who are your fans who think you're hysterically funny, who want to see you do something, even if it's without them, uh, want to see you do something now. I know that's true because some of them have already commented that in the chat room. They want to see you do your stuff. They think you're really funny. These well, are your fans. Like, book me. Like, 
if they're, you know, if you're living in some town somewhere, find the comedy club and tell the booking agent to book me. I'll come you out of your town and you, I'll do stand-up. You want to come to New York in the end of August? <laughs> what club? What, uh, what's the club? I don't want to mention the club yet, but I, I, I oh. two, two clubs on Long Island. Probably They're not New York City clubs, uh, but I have, you know, Bookers from both clubs. Are, I did really uh, well in uh, New Jersey. Like uh, I didn't do so hot in uh, Manhattan because the audience is there. They just they just want to hear jokes. They don't want to they don't want to see a character. But I got to do uh, New Jersey with the um, the guy with the puppet. Um, it was real dirty. The real dirty puppet guy. Oh, I forget. Not Otto and George. Yes, I got to work with Otto and George, and uh, I killed. And I was like, oh my god, they like me in New Jersey. And after the show, um, like, I didn't know how cool Otto and George was, right? But I was kind of nervous around him. And he's like, um, I should have you. You want to open for me? And I thought he was just joking. I should have took him up on it because then he died, like, like a couple years later. Right. I knew Otto when he first was starting out. He used, uh, he used to, he was in New Jersey, but he used to come to Long Island to play my friends dive bars. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, but he had some really old comedian guy was like 90 years old who would have to drive him to the shows from New Jersey for a $75 gig. He'd have to pay somebody to drive him. And then it would cost uh, <laughs> gas and tolls to get there, but he would come uh-huh. to a gig to play a total dive. Yeah. Bar. So that, that's how far back. I uh-huh. <laughs> I well, my, my jokes always work better on the west coast than they did the east coast uh, i think you're hysterically funny and i'm an east coast guy um so i i think you would do well here anyway um you know be, and i mentioned that sort of in jest but not so much in jest uh because uh earlier you mentioned that you and mishka were on um stanhope's podcast because uh stanhope thought get you guys together uh-huh. and, and it was suggested that i get now, I don't think Erickson would agree to us, but it was suggested that I get you and Erickson on here and I'd kind of play moderator to that. Would you would you be? I don't know. You know, I I'd really like to talk to Doug or Brett and just ask him, what is it that I can say and can't say? Because, you know, when all this shit went down, like I could tell Doug didn't want me on his podcast because he knew I was going to talk about it. Brett doesn't want me on um, issues with Andy because he knows I'm going to talk about it. It was they did the show at the uh, there was a show down in, in Austin, right? It was called uh, the Altercation Comedy Festival, right? right? They invited all the unbookables except me, and I thought it was a joke. And then I find out later that there's this I can't even talk about it because people are like, oh, th- this girl said that I called her a cunt on. Doug's podcast, and I told Brett, I was like, Brett, first of all, if I called so-and-so, I'm not going to mention her name, a cunt on Doug's podcast, first of all, Doug would address that. Second of all, Shaley would edit it out. Third, I'd fucking remember that. And fourth, all of those podcasts are on YouTube. You can go through them. I went through them. I couldn't find one place where I call this girl a cunt. And so that was supposed to be the reason why I couldn't do the Altercation Comedy Festival because this guy that booked it, he booked Brett, and then he booked uh, Christine Levine and Andy, and then Mishka. And I was like, dude, are you having an unbookable show? I was like, I'll do it. I mean, like, we could do an unbookable show. No, we don't want you, James. You called blah, 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 cunt on Doug's podcast. I'm like, are you fucking out of your mind? Oh, my God. It's just like I, I fucking snapped. 
And here's what pissed me off the most is in the movie, they all get together and say, James, if you don't work this room with us tonight, and if you work famous Johnny's, we're never going to talk to you again. So they formed this little union and they told me I've got to, and what did I do? I stuck by my friends. Okay. So then we do this, uh, this fucking uh, altercation comedy festival. And I'm like, I'm talking to him. I'm like, the guy's inviting all the ambiguals except me. All you have to do is tell him you're not doing the show without James Inman. And none of them fucking did one goddamn thing. None of them had a spine. None of them told that bitch to shut the fuck up. She's not even a comic for fuck's sake. All right. So Brad was like, oh, I'm sorry. It just like. Blah, blah, blah. So they do the show anyway. The guy that was booking it, he even see, he started to like like choose a name that sounded like the Unbookables. He started to call the show the Undesirables. Well, fucking, my yeah. show was called the Undesirables thirty five years ago, so I'll sue him. Yeah, <laughs> and so you know, I uh, you know I confronted him on Twitter, and he fucking blocks me right away. Wow, like, oh, this guy's a douche. I can't believe it. I told Brett, I said, Brett, let me tell you something. If some douchebag tried to do a comedy show and bring all the unbookables except you to Kansas City, I would tell that guy to fuck off. I would tell that guy, if you want the unbookables, you're going to have to bring Brett Erickson because nobody's going to have a fucking show and not bring, like, Christine Levine or... Oh, we don't want Lipsky. No, fuck you. We're bringing Lipsky now just because you said you don't want him. <laughs> That's what I would have done because you know why? Because I'm a fucking man and I have a spine and nobody gets in between my fucking friends. It's like the musketeers all for one and one for all. And these pussies have to fucking lay down like a bunch of goddamn little squirrels. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. My head almost exploded. I'm like, fuck you. Mine's going to explode, too. I keep it up. No, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's, you know, this is the first I'm hearing of your side of the story, but I've heard drips. Oh, nobody's heard my side of the story. I've never told this story on a podcast. I think maybe there was one podcast that nobody saw, but it was like, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? You know, I reminded, I reminded Brett, too. I said, Brett. You know, in the movie, you guys all get together and say, we're not going to talk to you if you don't work with us. I'm like, all right, so fuck you. I told the club owner to fuck off, and I stuck by my friends, right? So when they do this show, the thing of it is, they think it, I think it's a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. It's just something fun to do. I wanted to drive down to Austin, see some of my friends, do a goddamn show, but no, James is an asshole. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Oh, my God. So the altercation uh, thing, I think that none of them are doing it, though, except maybe Erickson is doing it this year, but I don't think anybody else is on that. Am I, do you know? Whatever. All I know is I've, one thing I've been born with is a good judge of character, all right? <laughs> because I, I, I'm pretty picky with the people I fucking hang out with. And whoever's running this altercation comedy festival, gigantic douchebag, all right? Because I, I kind, I've never really met that guy. He was at one of Doug's parties, but we never got introduced. 
I never said one word to that guy. I never got into an argument. I never fucked him over. I never did anything to that fucker. And all of a sudden, he hates me. I'm like, he, the guy doesn't even know me. Hate is a strong word, James. Uh, maybe oh, maybe, well, maybe like call? me, well, I would call it uh, uncomfortable, made uncomfortable by the kind of conversations we see on, on social media. Now, I will tell you that all, all three of the guys that who fall into that group, the unbookables that I've had on the program, while they were here, they didn't mention you and, and didn't say any, anything bad about you at all. But in the chat room, it was lighting up and pe the questions were, asked, uh, ask him why they think James in Inman is so... Um, Easily triggered is the word. They, they yeah, were see, they, they think, yeah, that's the thing because it's little, it's Doug's little shtick that he likes to do, and he thinks that oh, we'll fuck with James and we'll get him all mad. But Doug doesn't know that I fuck. I know what he's doing, but I still get to say the shit to his face, just like you know, uh, Brett's like, let's trigger James. Yeah, trigger me, Brett. I'll tell everybody what the fuck you did in Austin when you didn't have the balls to tell JT to fuck off. But see, this is not the way to get people to work back together. Look, I, it's <laughs> funny, dude. I think it's funny. I, you I, know, I see. Look, one of the reasons why I didn't watch Brett's podcast, because it looked boring. He wasn't saying anything. I don't know. Maybe it's interesting. But, you know, if you're going to do a podcast, you know, fucking... Do a goddamn I, podcast. I thought I thought it was one of the funnier uh, ones I've had, and I've had yeah, I've sure, had a lot yeah, of funny yeah. comedians on the program. I, I didn't. You know? I, I don't know. Maybe I should watch it. But when I started doing Doug's podcast, me and Doug would get into these arguments, and it was the most downloaded podcast. I had there for a while. I had the two of the most downloaded Doug Stanhope podcast because he would bring me on, and we've known each other since 1995, and I. We fucking argue, and it's funny. Well, you know, didn't Stanhope have that same kind of relationship with Dan Dane Cook for all for all those years too? And kind of, I don't, I don't know. I don't ever remember Doug being friends with Dane Cook. Well, he never was. He was uh, kind of uh, they were rivals, but they patched it up. That's what I meant. I mean, so at some point, I like going back to my point before. You get too old to keep keep the fights going, keep the conflict going, and just. Bury yeah. the hatchet somehow. I've been trying to bury the hatchet. What are you talking about? Brett won't even pick up my phone call. What do you? I'm the one trying to bury the hatchet. So, nobody else gives a fuck or cares. Nobody, nobody cares. So I'm not sure. Um, again, I think hate is too strong a word. Indifference, maybe. You know, I I feel like. Um, I know, I know some people who don't like me and, and professional comedians and people, but I wouldn't say they hate me. They just wish I'd go Dude, away. Well, and, and I mean, <laughs> when you say hate is a strong word, to me, it's just a word. It's an easy word to say. And, like, you can have two baskets. You got one basket has got love, like, adore, um, you know, I think you're beautiful. This basket over here has got hate, aversion, dislike, disinterested, fucking smells like shit. I mean, those, are just, those are just words that define what? I mean, words do words define reality? Words point to reality. Words are not reality in and of themselves. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody really hates you. And I think you have a lot of fans out there. And again, the, the, point, the reason I'm saying it is because people – 
people who really genuinely do have an affection for you and a great respect for you as a, a comedian want to want to see you just say something that's not you know let me tell you something i remember before i met doug i used to hang out with brody stevens in seattle i was there when brody stevens started comedy and so we became best friends hung out helped him write jokes over at his apartment then tana comes along so it was me tana yoshi josh wolf it was like the young guns and we all hung out and I was like the older, kind of more experienced comic, and I was giving them all pointers. But my, my point is, when I hung out with Brody Stevens, we all complimented each other, and would we all watched each other's show, and we get off stage, we'd high five each other, and dude, you're the master. No, you're the master. And so that was my experience with Brody. I meet Doug, right? Doug is like a curmudgeon. He makes he's critical and he makes fun of everybody. So I'm around Doug and all his friends. Nobody ever compliments anybody. It's it's the complete opposite of hanging out with Brody Stevens. Gotcha. I mean, I was like happy hanging out with Brody Stevens. You know, we were all having fun. We're all like, we liked each other. You know, here it's like fucking everyone's jealous. Everyone's angry. Everyone's like, oh, you suck or good. Blah, blah. You know, it's like, the, like I said, the only person that occasionally will give out a compliment is Andy or Mishka, and that's it. The rest of them, you know, they're just, they're negative, you know? It's like fucking, it's it's crazy. Well, uh, I'm going to challenge them all to give you a compliment. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely know they do respect you as a comedian. They're worried that, uh, oh, he'll get a big head if I compliment him. I'm like, dude, I already think I'm a piece of shit. I don't need to know... I don't like when people make fun of me. I'm like, dude, I tell myself that every day. Do you right. think you could tell, you could say something to me that would be worse than I say to myself? You know, I don't think much of myself. And people think that I'm egotistical. I'm like, Wah. well, well, that was kind of why I was a little bit uh, uh, nervous about having you on, too, because you remind me a little bit of me, and I hate myself. Uh, so, <laughs> um, But I know that I, in the past, I was, I've had the same issues with you with people being a little bit misunderstood and um, been emotional and, and said some things on, on, on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, oh, dude, Twitter. you know what? Um, you wrote something on Twitter that is what got my attention because you've got this this fake name, which is uh, Nate. Uh, well, that's Nate. my my friend Nate Kelp. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So <laughs> when we were when we were like uh, busting each other's balls, like Andy made some joke, like I'm not gonna do the altercation comedy festival this year because I think it's it's not they're not doing it anymore or something. That was the joke, I think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so you write. And this is funny because when I read that, I was like, that's the first time anybody's ever said anything like that. You wrote, I wish I had a friend that I was sure would have my back like that in life. That's Basically, true. you're mocking Andy. You're like, you guys didn't have James's back during the Altercation Comedy Festival. That was like the first fucking tweet I've ever read that was on my side. Well, uh, it was on my side too, mostly. Well, yeah, it's just yeah, like, but, I think everybody should have each other's backs. I think people should have have yeah, each other's backs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's like 
it's like at during during that whole altercation comedy festival, all I got were jokes about me, how I was the fuck up, and I'm like, dude, you haven't heard the real story, you know. And when you wrote that, I was like, holy shit. Who is this guy? I can't believe that somebody <laughs> actually guy? broke the rules. The rule <laughs> is that you're supposed to make fun of James. But yeah. here's you, and you're like, oh, I'm going to make fun of Andy for once. That's my my mission thing. is just to try to diffuse the anger. I, again, I grew up in a household where people were yelling at each other all the time. It makes me feel uncomfortable, and I, I, I maybe I'm Pollyannish. I want every, I want people to get Dude, along, especially. What I want, what I yes, I want the same thing too. What I want is the unbookables to make fun of each other occasionally and stop making me the center of every goddamn joke. Okay. Like how about Brett, you know, make fun of Andy or Andy make fun of Mishka or Mishka make fun of Brendan or, or, you know, fucking Christine make fun of Doug, you know, but it's all, if you're going to joke about a comedian, they're going to fucking joke about me. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. Just like, have somebody else be the center of attention for once. <laughs> well, you know, and that that's an unusual position for a somebody in the performing arts to take. But I it's crazy. That. <laughs> it's, it's like I'm. It, it's like it makes me feel like I don't even want to do comedy anymore. I mean, I was like happy when I was hanging out with Brody Stevens. You know, we were all having fun. Now it's just like fuck it, man. It's like all the shit I went through with the unbookables, and now. All, all they do is just like they just make fun of it, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, you guys! Who would? Why would you make fun of the movie that you're in? Why would you trash the fucking the only movie that you're in? Because this is the only movie that Brett's been in. It's the only movie Christine. Well, Christine was on Portlandia. All right, Andy. It's the only movie Andy's been on. You know. Yeah. Well. Fucking, a lot of people haven't been in movies, but I, you know what? I, I I I appreciate your side of the story, James, and I, I'm sorry that uh, you feel like you've been made the butt of a joke or or a victimized. I'm in used to it, dude. I'm just explaining it to you. You wanted yeah. me to explain it. That's what my life is like. Yeah, I, I actually thought that this would, that part of the program would take about the first five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it took a whole hour. Right. I get it. Uh, I get it. And I hope we can move on past that. Now, I, I do want to because some, one thing that really interests me about you is I know uh, you're very well read on, how do I say, government um, operations, things that stir conspiracy theories and all that stuff. Uh, what is your level of interest in, in that? Uh, are, do you do a lot of reading on that? Or do you, are you and do you belong to any of the um, group, well, groups I mean, that study that shit? Before the internet came, um, before the you know whole you know Microsoft boom, where everyone got a computer in like 1996 or something, I had a huge bookshelf. I used to just hang, all I did before I had a computer was like three, four times a day. I'd just hang out at a goddamn used bookstore. I bought I bought most of my books at a used bookstore, and so. The subjects that I read were, I probably read every fucking half of the books on UFOs that you would find on the shelf. I've read almost every, like half of every book that you've ever seen on Buddhism. So my subjects were UFOs, religion, mysticism, and uh, conspiracy CIA. I used to live uh, two blocks from a library for a year. And I would just walk down to the library and I read every book on the CIA I could find, you know. Have you heard of this, uh, the Montauk Project? 
Yeah. I uh, knew that guy who wrote that book very well. Oh, he, was really? on, he was on my show a lot. Uh-huh. And the first time he was on my show, we were talking about psychotronics. But then the second time he came on the show, he brought his friend, Al Bilek, Ed Bilek. I'm not sure if it was Al or Ed, but the guy mm-hmm. claimed he was on the Philadelphia, uh, on uh, the Eldridge, yeah. which was the Philadelphia Experiment Boat. Mm-hmm. The third time they came, they brought Duncan Cameron, who was supposedly fused with Al Bilek on the Philadelphia Experiment Boat. Uh, so uh, very well steeped in all that kind of stuff. You, you, you know how all that started? Uh, what that whole, the whole Philadelphia Experiment uh Mythology. Yeah, Carlos Allende. My band was called the Carlos Allende Trio yeah, for many years. Yeah. Somebody Call found out. a UFO book and Morris the UFO book. It was yeah, Morris Jessup. It had all these notes in the book, and it was like, who wrote these? You know? Right. Yeah, uh, Carl Allen. And it turned out uh, the guy uh, Robert. I can't remember Robert's last name now, who, who did the whole research on Carl Allen. He actually li- uh, lived across the street from Carl Allen's father the whole time. And did oh, know. really? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and so basically, Carl, uh, Carl Allen's father said, yeah, Carl writes letters like that look like this all the time. And they brought the letters and compared. So, wow, that's the exact same handwriting. And looked, at, mm-hmm. looked up the guy. And so Carl Allen, Carlos Allende, uh, who wrote all that stuff, started the Philadelphia Experiment. Yeah. We'll, yeah. All that well, stuff. Well, um, you know, one of the things I learned um, that I never knew was when people think of the CIA, they think, oh, 007, you know, uh, assassins and and uh, um, and they they think uh, uh, flipping elections and going down to Central America and starting wars and shit. A lot of people don't realize that 50 percent of what the CIA does is in disinformation, is in publishing. They right. buy publishing companies, magazines. Well, before before the internet, you know, it was always, you know, newspapers, magazines, publishing companies, books. I think there was one scholar that said the CIA helped publish like over a thousand books, like nonfiction books that you find at the bookshop, you know, the bookstore, right? Right. So but most people think, oh, the isn't the CIA, don't they, they, they do analysis and then, then they also start they do that too. Through. Yeah. But people don't realize just how much disinformation they spread. And, right. you know, it came out during the church commission where, you know, they were asking the head of the CIA, do you have people on your payroll that send in articles to publications? And he's like, uh, yes. And they're like, do you have people on your payroll in the news media, like CBS or ABC? And he's like, uh, just a second. Um, I, I'd like to not answer that right now because uh, I'm talking, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that later. You know, so the CIA, you know, they've been in this business of disinformation for since they started in 1947. Right. Uh, I In the early 80s, I was a courier for the CIA with top secret clearance. What? Uh, yeah. Were uh, you really? Yeah. From 1982 to 1986. About 86, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you and, actually work for the CIA? Yeah, and by, by law, the CIA is not supposed to have any uh, interest in domestic affairs. We're only supposed oh, to Oh, right, right, exactly. But, the, the, see, they, Truman, Harry Truman, when they signed the, the uh, National Security Act, that was one of the things that they he got, you know, Alan Dulles to promise, you know, you could do all this shit, but don't do anything in the United States, you know. 
But since that time, we've like found evidence that they have done shit inside the United States. Right. So I want to get your take on this now. Lately, the Pentagon's coming out with a lot of, uh, and other uh, Air Force and other entities within our government are coming out and saying a lot of stuff about UFOs. Now, do you believe? Do you believe the stuff they're saying? Oh, dude! I yes, UFOs exist. They've. I'm they, not. I'm not asking if they what? exist. I, do you believe the stories the government is telling? Because you, you just said they've been they've been uh, very responsible for misinformation and disinformation. Uh-huh. So, do you believe the stories that are coming? Out? Well, see, disinformation is is uh, part true and part untrue. So, so when the CIA tells you something, like part of it can be true. So. There probably really are like unexplained craft in in the air. They've been they've been looking at this shit since the fifties, you know. They and so yes, those some of those videos that they released are probably real UFOs. Yeah, but yeah. uh, even beyond the air, one of the the statements that came out of the Pentagon was that they were in possession of a craft not of this earth, which doesn't mean it's in the air. It means they have physical uh, craft remains or right. a, a craft. Uh, do you believe that? Well, see, in uh, nineteen. Um, I think it was 1947. Uh, that's when Roswell happened, right. and so that's been pretty well documented. And since then, there's other crashes that have happened. That there's eyewitnesses. There's there's like like all kinds of. Uh, so there was like one in Mexico. There was one uh, outside of uh, uh, Chillicothe, Missouri. Um, there's there's been a lot of. Uh, strange eyewitness reports of there was a woman like some of these were were like this this uh this woman and her grandmother and her son they all got like sunburned and it was uh radiation and they saw this diamond shaped craft like it looked like it wasn't really it was about ready to crash or something and it was kind of hovering and it was going real slow and there was like like six or seven uh, helicopters flying around it because we can track anything in the sky. We've been able to with, with satellites and and radar and shit. Whenever there's an unknown object, we have to know what the fuck that thing is. You and that's hope. why they scramble jets to find out what is it. It could be a it could be a plane from another country, you know, that uh, have it has its transponder turned off or whatever, you know. Um, so. Uh, that's one of the reasons why they 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 know there's so much shit in the air. They they also used to have uh, you know these planes. Uh, uh, a lot of these bombers that used to go on those bombing runs where they'd keep the plane up in the air just uh, during the Cold War. You know, so they'd have uh, a short period of time if they had to attack. Well, on those planes were the gun cameras, and so they I'm sure they've got all kinds of fucking really good film of unexplained craft that it's not russian not chinese it's not american and it's moving fast yeah and, uh, you no know doubt about it. so uh, i'm having somebody on the program friday at 1 p.m or i want i want to make sure i get it right i think it's omira mersey is her name uh-huh. oh, yeah omira mersey she claims to have uh, been abducted uh, and it, it and had some uh, according to her some physical um proof of it 
Anyway, so that's at one, one o'clock Friday. Uh, I'm just curious now, not what you know, but what you believe about extraterrestrials. Uh, wh- what is what? What do you do? You believe there are extraterrestrial beings have visited Earth and, and, and walked walked on on the Earth in our lifetime? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, there's there's um, like 200 million stars in our galaxy, right? Uh, and yeah. there's what eight nine planets around our star our sun is just a star so all it has to happen is there's probably some planets out there that can sustain life and they have intelligent life and those those people are able to build craft that are able to travel long distances just like we built ships and we came from you know spain and we got in a goddamn ship it took a few days but we finally got to america you know so um and that's you know Heck, we only invented the airplane a hundred years ago, and now we got jets flying around. Right. Uh, uh, if you believe in the moon landing, and I do, yes, uh, uh, sixty-six years between the Wright brothers and uh, Neil Armstrong. Yes, we really did go to the moon. I know. You know, the Holocaust really happened. The Earth is round; it's not flat. I get. I hate it when people like lump me in with all the other conspiracy theorists. Uh, you know, when this uh, this COVID nineteen thing happened. At, right when it happened, it sounded like a leaked bioweapon to me. And I started looking around. I told, I didn't say anything on social media because I knew they're banning people. Anybody that starts saying that, you know, COVID's a, a might be a leaked bioweapon, they'd get banned on Twitter or fucking YouTube or Facebook. So I kept my mouth shut and I told my parents, I told my my girlfriend, I told all my friends, I was like, dude, I think this is a leaked bioweapon. And they looked at me like I was fucking crazy. Year later, that's what they're saying. No, nah, that's not exactly what they're saying. Well, know, a, few, a few people are still saying that. What it is is a gain of function accident where because the original government. Weapon. No. No, no. Gain of function happened in the United States. I used to be in pathology, too, so I know about this stuff. Believe me. The gain of function was outlawed by the Obama administration right. and domestically. They because put it over in China, but we still funded it. Right. Now, gain, gain of function means they were studying the advancement of the disease within bats and, and mammals. And one of the bats bit a technician. The technician went home from work that day and spread it to everybody right. in his neighborhood. That's, that's, that's not that's, necessarily a bioweapon. That's an, a, no, an accident, no, a lab yeah. accident. Right, right. You're right. It's not an actual bioweapon. But the reason why they have BSL-4 labs is they tell people, oh, we're trying to study these viruses, but every technology, every fucking technology, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, something algorithm or it could be some technology for, you know, the uh, internet or network, um, all of that shit is used by the goddamn, my phone is going off. Oh, it's fine. Well, that's exactly why we outlawed it here, because the, the probability of that accident happening was extremely high, and we knew it. But putting uh, it over no, What I mean is, I guess what I'm trying to say is every technology is used by the Pentagon, the military, whatever it fucking is. So if we got the technology to go into a virus and change the goddamn DNA or add gain of function to make it a more dangerous virus... You're telling me the military wouldn't be interested in that? 
Of course, they would be interested in it, but I, I don't think uh, the the current the one that we we responded to uh, was that at all. I think it was a gain of function accident that we knew any fool could see happening. It's like uh, you know you're driving down a car where you give a drunk guy the keys, you know he's going to crash into something. Yeah, but see, I mean, I'm not dumb, man. I mean, these these uh, the, these people in the military, they know what could possibly happen oh, absolutely. you know an enemy could possibly spread a bioweapon so then what do they do they have to come up with a vaccine that's why these bsl3 and bsl4 labs they they fuck with the virus and then they also create a vaccine for that virus right so that's where they come up with the technology for these vaccines so if you're dumb enough to not take a goddamn vaccine when they suspect it might be a goddamn gain of function leak, I won't say bioweapon, a leaked virus from uh, the Wuhan Virology Institute. I mean, come on, this is the time to take a goddamn vaccine. All right. Well, I'm glad we, we cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other big um, conspiracy things that or you think are need to be known about that are going on right now? Oh, um, the, the most, the thing that I'm most interested in is probably the, uh, the COVID-19 thing. But, um, before that, um, you know, I, I think it was a little odd, um, the whole attack on the, uh, on, uh, the, uh, uh, the Congress or whatever, the January 6th uh, insurrection, I think was a little strange. It's a little hard for me to believe that our intelligence agencies, our Pentagon and uh, all of our security services had no idea something like that was going to happen. You know, I knew um, it was going to happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I think they knew it was going to happen. I think they went ahead and... They, I think they knew that these guys didn't have guns and they were going to go there and cause a lot of shit. Uh, okay, well, I guess I, this is where I'm getting, I'm getting to. You're asking me another conspiracy theory I'm interested in is I think that whole QAnon thing was a disinformation psyop. You know, I think that what, what QAnon is is like they mix in some truth and some complete bullshit and they, they get a bunch of people believing it. So this group of people who like guns end up, uh, it, what it does is it, it discredits uh, groups and organizations. If you look at what they did in the 60s with, you know, trying to discredit, um, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, you know, trying to discredit the weathermen or any of these movements that happened in the 60s, uh, that's how you stop uh, a movement from growing. You know, um, one, one, you know, an interesting thing. Um, I always believe that um, that Tr Charles Manson, that whole thing was to to put an end to the hippie movement. And and so I always thought that maybe I was like a nutbag for believing that that, you know, uh, Char uh, Charles Manson could be some kind of a. Um, you know, a, a CIA stooge to fuck up the hippie movement. Turns out there's a guy that just wrote a book. Tom I mean, O'Neill, yeah. Yeah, it's called Chaos. Right. And he talks about all these strange things that were where somebody was always there to help out Charles Manson, you know, and he gets out of jail early and he goes down to Mexico and, 
and they were gonna fucking they didn't arrest him for the longest time that's a guy you need to interview is that uh i i've had i've asked him like four times believe me i'm on that one oh my god that guy spent 20 years researching that book right but there was a book in 1980 that came out paul watkins who was within the manson circle who wrote a similar book that book's been buried and you can't even find it anymore i read it in 1980 though and What's i it about I, about the inside of the Manson family, about how he started uh, in the uh, the hate district with the CIA, using him uh, for uh, misinformation purposes oh, really? and going out there and infiltrating the hippies. Yeah, all uh-huh. that. And, and, and Paul kind of nailed that in his book in 1980. And I know uh, Tom kind of um, makes uh, some reference to that, and I think he got inspired by that. His book goes much further. I want to get him on here because he knows all, all the uh, stuff. There's that some I'm people that believe uh, the CIA was um, was trying to infiltrate or was or had the uh, Jim Jones, uh, um, you know, group uh, infiltrated. Like that was some kind of psyop, you know, to uh, stop um, because Christianity in Central America and South America, it was – kind of taken a left wing uh there was this thing called um the um uh what was it called um uh there's a type of christianity that's like a socialist version of christianity liberation theology was growing down in central america and so a lot of these uh, catholic priests were becoming like marxist you know and so the theory is that uh they sent down jim jones who was this guy mixing socialism with Christianity, and he does this giant suicide thing. So, like, nobody ever wants to mix socialism with Christianity ever again. <laughs> well, that that's only one Jonestown for you, if you're counting. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a, a, a reference to Andy and his 666 Jonestown. Right, right. I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty wild uh, conspiracy theory. But so you know, I've already know. I've already exposed a little of myself here tonight about the CIA, <laughs> CIA stuff. I can't believe I'm talking to a CIA agent. No, I wasn't an agent. I was a courier. Yeah, I, that's it. I was just bringing envelopes that uh-huh. people and stuff like that. Yeah, this whole podcast is here to discredit me. Right. Uh, but I also t- told you of my work in pathology, but I also worked in a cult and worked for a cult and have had several cult members on the program, including people who you were connected to... Ju- uh, yeah, I worked for a, a cult that was a healing cult. It was basically four-year school where they teach you the hands-on healing, but hands-over healing while they oh, really? you know, moan and stuff in their chakra. But they, the leader of the cult uh, channeled a, a guide from Atlantis called Haywin. I was the audio-visual technician, meaning oh, really? <laughs> you know, videotape and audio uh-huh. taping. And every time she'd go in a chance and she'd be talking as Haywin, for, and for some reason, Haywin was, sounded Asian with a lisp. Uh-huh. And she'd be talking about... And she'd open one eye and look at me and like... My mic, make it louder, and uh, go and go right back into doing this <laughs> thing. For twelve hundred people that really thought she walked on water, they called her the goddess every Sunday morning. She had a goddess uh, feeling. Twelve hundred yeah, people. That's, that's depressing. You know, some of those cults and some of those those wacky religions, they fuck it up for real. Like, I study religion. Like, I've been studying the Tao Te Ching for years. I've studied Buddhism for years because there's a couple crazy people like Jim Jones, like Charles Manson, or like this healing cult that you're in, doesn't mean that all religions are bullshit. I, I would um, agree that, I, you know, I'm, I'm really open to the idea, open-minded to the idea of faith and all this kind of stuff, but I think all religions are. Any organ, anytime we get organized about stuff, 
it then it becomes corrupt. Uh, people well, can't, people can't no, operate he, without corruption. I know, but <laughs> the thing of it is, it's like we're we only know we're like a we're we're like a fish in a um we're like a goldfish in a, a little goldfish bowl. We don't really know what it's like over in the east, you know, over in Asia with Buddhism and Taoism. They look at things completely different than we do. Um, so when you say you know, America has some of the dumbest Christian churches that are nowhere near what Christ taught. We all know that. But, you know, over in the East, in Asia, you know, it's all about the, they don't really care about the world. They're they're more interested in the mind, like yeah. what's going on inside your own mind. So a lot of the, for Buddhism, they don't even have a preacher. You know, they just, okay, you want to be a Buddhist monk? Okay, sit down, meditate on nothingness for eight hours. There's no God to believe in. There's no, there's no pastor or, or you know, it's like you're stuck with yourself and right. you have to learn how to meditate. And so there's, there's, it's, it's everything's turned around in, uh, in the religions of the East. They're more concerned with psychology than they are with like stupid laws, you know, whether, you know, it's wrong for gay people to get married or, or abortions wrong. You know, that doesn't even, they don't even care, you know? Yeah. I, I wouldn't argue against that. What I would say is, Oh, there's no organization over there. <laughs> so you're talking about the guy, the, the monks up in uh, the top of Mount Everest. <laughs> uh, I, there's no real organization there of uh, like, you know, Vatican's and whatever organization. Yeah, it's a, I mean, the Buddha, he lived until he was 90. So he created the Sangha, which is the order of monks and to be a monk. You have to follow these rules. If you break the rule, they kick your ass out. Unlike the Catholic church, you know, you start fucking kids. They like, they move them. I'm to not different sure that's places. against their rules. <laughs> I'm not sure that's against their rules. I I just think it's an unwritten rule. Like yeah, that. it's um, <laughs> all, every Catholic priest has to take a vow of celibacy. But Tibetan Buddhist monks, not every monk has to take a vow of celibacy because they know that it's hard as fuck to never have sex ever again. So not all the monks, you know, take that vow. If you take a vow of celibacy, that means you got to stick to that vow. I get it. Yes, uh, there's a lot of, of that stuff. But I think all in all, if we look at the religions that mainstream religions that we talk about, uh, people joining them. And I don't like I, I want to be open minded and respectful of people's uh, ideas and beliefs. But when it gets organized, I really have a problem with, with all of it. Yeah, I mean, the thing of it is, um, I when people say organized religion, I'm like, there's like, there's all kinds of organizations, you know? It's like, I don't really know um, what people are talking about. The, what, the only thing I know about religion is my parents, um, they never sent us to church. My parents never talked about And you grew God up in or, the Bible Belt, right? Yeah, I was I was raised in Kansas City, but when I was growing up, they never sent us to church. They never talked about the Bible. They rarely talked about God. And so I found out later that they wanted us to like decide on our own what we were, what religion we were, or if we believed in God or not. So I didn't start right studying religion. I didn't go to church basically. I just went to bookstores and I started reading every 
book on religion that I could find because I figured if I went to a church, they'd have their own doctrine, you know? So I just wanted to learn, like, what is basic Christianity 101? You know, what is basic Buddhism 101? What are the, what are the core principles of this philosophy, theology, or whatever, you know? And, and so that's kind of, you know, when I talk about religion, I'm talking about the bookstore, the section that says the religion section, where you can find the Bhagavad Gita, you can find the Tao Te Ching, you can find the Dhammapada or the Upanishads. You know, that's what I love. I, yeah. I just love the the ancient mystical texts. That's what I like. So um, a, a, a lot of comedians are atheists, and I know we're getting very, we're way over time, and we're going to going to wrap it up soon. But I want to get uh, this your take on this. A lot of comedians are atheists, and I can understand that. I mean, you, you look at the uh, myths and stuff about what uh -huh. God, God is supposed to be, but now science is saying. Now, a lot of scientists are saying, some very smart scientists are saying, not only is there a God, but there's God is a computer geek with a laptop who's created this whole simulation. Oh, right. Um, what, Simulated universe. What, yeah. what, do you, what is your Well, I mean, uh, when, I, when I first heard the simulated universe theory, I was like, well, that's nothing new or different. The Buddha talked about the same thing 2,500 years ago. Basically, the Buddha said that all life is an illusion and, uh, you know, all this stuff is impermanent. So um, the only thing that really matters is your own mind and how you perceive the world. Your own perceptions are what's important because this world is always changing. You know, you have, you have your parents grow old and die. You know, your girlfriend, she might may not love you anymore. She's gone. You get a new girlfriend. People come and go. People die, the world, I mean, buildings get old and they fucking tumble. I mean, there's nothing in this world that is permanent. So it's, it's, it's illusory. It's, it's a lot like an illusion. Even though it seems real, it's not real. Like a million years from now, the earth's going to fall into the sun. So um, I guess, uh, what was your question about? It was about simulation theory, whether you believed in it or not. Uh, and It sounds like... The simulated uh, universe theory sounds like Buddhism, where everything's an illusion. It sounds <laughs> like in in Hinduism they have a concept called Maya, um, and uh, or uh, Lila. Lila is uh, the dance of the universe. So whether you call it a simulation created by a computer or whether you call it Lila, you're putting a word. You're trying to define something. Uh, and basically, it's all the same shit. You know, it's this fake world. So this idea of uh, everything being an illusion and it, it, whatever your mind decides is an illusion, uh, is reality. Is, uh, do you uh, uh, subscribe to that? Uh, theory? I think, um, well, <clears throat> I know. I mean, if you were to say that mind creates reality, you know, a lot of people think that's bullshit. They're like, you can't, you know, lift a a glass of water with your mind, it's not like that. It's more like you, in your mind, you have the power to choose what you, what your perceptions are. You have the power to choose what you focus on. You can sit down and meditate or you can, um, you could, it, every event that happens in the world, it's up to you on how you, uh, 
determine how you look at that experience. You know, gotcha. so so you're you have a lot of people don't realize how much power they have in their mind just with that little bit of freedom. Now, if you're psychotic or mentally ill, they have no control over their mind, you know, but but the Hindus believe that deep, deep down inside, there's still this self. They call it the self with a capital S. It's like the soul or, you know, the spirit or, you know, the deep, deep mind. There's something in us that is never changing. It's always there. It's uh, immutable, immemorial, uh, indestructible. Um, and and so uh, the, the Hindus believe that God is within. Right. Okay. Now wrapping this up, bringing it back 360 completely. All okay. that stuff you just said, uh, your mind is in control of your reality. All that stuff. I happen to agree with a, much of that and, and try to practice it as much as possible. But bringing that back to your situation with the unbookables and your reality that you perceive that everybody hates you and wants you on the outside. Um, can't, can't, don't you have the power in your mind to just let go of that perception? <laughs> Uh, I'm also kind of like part of my mind is joking too, dude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's well, just that, I, I started by saying I don't know when comedians are joking anymore. I become, and Brendan did this to me more than anybody. Is oh, yeah. He, he just fucking mind fucked me so much that I don't uh, know what's real and what's not real. Right. Anymore. Yeah. Brendan, <laughs> Brendan is a, he's a big fan of pranks, and so is Doug. So Doug's a big fan of pranks. So I kind of, what I do is like, like, I do a judo trick where I I use truth to fuck with his pranks, you know, because to me, you know, what's real is actually funnier than than his little fake prank. Gotcha. <laughs> Did that explain it to you? Yes. Uh, so, it, yeah. So I do appreciate you, you taking an hour and a half to spend this night with me. I'm sure you had better things you could have been doing than hanging out with me tonight. But you, you're a good sport and you came here. And uh, I think, uh, you know, dispelled a lot of my misunderstandings about you from what I've read on, on social media. And yeah. so I, I hope we, we've done you some kind of service. I want to ask, though, and I don't think I don't have a lot of confidence that I can do this, but if I can get one of those guys to come on and, and talk to you live on a program and me kind of be like a, a crossfire moderator, would you be open to that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you this much. <laughs> they won't do it. You're not going to get, no, you're I, gonna I, get I, fucking... I think you, I, I think doubt, you're I really honestly doubt it. There's no way in hell you're going to get Brett Erickson to talk to me on a podcast about what happened at the Altercation Comedy Festival. I doubt if, uh, you know, fucking Andy would even do it. There's I no fucking way. I never say no, never I'd to anything, it. but I agree. I agree that it's extremely, extremely unlikely. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to yeah. do my best. He to doesn't want to talk about it, dude. That I is know. the last thing he wants to talk about because, you know, he doesn't want to look bad because he knows that if people find out the story and they're like, are you kidding me? He's, he's going to be a laughing stock. I, I, I uh, agree. It probably won't happen, but I think the, uh, the numbers that that program would draw would be pretty big. And yes, uh, a lot yeah, of people would be interested I mean, I, in seeing it. You know, the only reason I keep bringing it up is because one day I want Brett to learn how to laugh at himself. And and accept that he fucked up because this time all of them actually fucked up because none of them really stuck together and said, 
I don't want to do this show without James. You know, that none of them had the balls to do that. So it's not just Brett's fault. It's Andy, it's Christine, it's Mishka. None of them stood up for me. They could have said something, you know. It's like on the waterfront. Yeah, you so you Brett's <laughs> right. Brett, you know, he told you me. He's my like, brother. Yeah. He's like, this isn't all my fault. And I'm like, he's right. It's not all his fault. It's, it's fucking all. All of their faults. For, well, I've for been there. I, I got kicked out of the, a band that I started over a girl one time. Uh, so I, I, I can understand how you feel about that. Dude, I don't know. It's like, who's kicking? This isn't even a band. It's just all I wanted to do was it to is kind do of. one show. <laughs> how hard can that be? Oh, it can be very difficult. Yeah, as exactly. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate uh, your... Um, giving me your side of the story. I look forward to maybe uh, having you back on sometime. I would love that. Yeah, uh, have me back. We'll talk about everything but the unbookables. There you go. I think we got that off our chest. And I appreciate everybody coming by. I do thank you for, for stopping by and, uh, you know, facing all the questions and not dodging any of them and telling it like like you know what to be. So thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye for now. All right. James Inman, folks, uh, you heard his uh, story. I'd love to hear what uh, your take on tonight is. You can write to me at info at minddogtv.com. i got to shut this banner off one second. There we go. Uh, interesting uh, to hear James' take on all this stuff. And I know that the uh, all the chat rooms were lit up, uh, even the Twitch chat room, which is uh, a little bit different. We don't usually see that going on. So um, I want to thank everybody for coming by. I'm curious as to what your take on tonight's program. Again, write to me at info at minddogtv.com. I didn't read my sponsors tonight. Funwise uh, Capital, I got to say they uh, stood up and they were ready to sponsor tonight's program if I would have read the pro, uh, stuff. And they said, uh, and actually when I called them and said, uh, you know, the sponsor dropped me tonight, can you guys uh, fill in? They said, sure. And it says, why did they, why did she drop you? And I said, basically, uh, thought the comedian I was having on was too risky. And they said, I don't care if you're having James in- Inman on. And I stopped for a second, and then I heard him laughing. He said, no, I know who you have it on. I watch, I watch your schedule. So they had no problem. So FunWise Capital, good boost for them. The link will be in the description anyway. I'm not going to read their ad, but uh, they, they're stand-up guys. Speaking of stand-up guys, uh, they don't care. I mean, as long as you're standing by us, they stand by me. Good people, FunWise Capital. Uh, tomorrow, I got Joshua Shea talking about porn addiction at 1 p.m. How to beat your porn addiction. And to me, how to beat your porn addiction. If you want to beat it, stop beating it simple uh 1 p.m joshua shea how to beat the porn addiction till then i'm matt napple for the mind dog tv podcast thanks for coming folks have a great rest of your night and bye for now
me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 